0: What's going on, everybody? Back again, another episode of the Sooners Illustrated Podcast, episode three. Josh Calloway, Tom Green, James Jackson on this Monday, July 24 2023. Gentlemen, how's it going? How was the weekend? It awesome was, weekend. Yeah, it, it was good. Barbenheimer, baby. Barbenheimer. <laughs> We're talking about we came on the air. That's uh, sweeping the nation. I've seen Oppenheimer, no Barbie yet. James is out on both. Or are you going to see both? You said you wanted to, but you haven't seen him yet.
1: I, I won't be seeing Barbie. Um, not really it's my cup of tea. And then uh, I don't know about it, but we'll see. I like, like you guys' reviews so far, so I might have to check it out. I, I love Christianella's films, so that, that sounds pretty good.
0: Yeah, we can start a separate uh, movie movie podcast, I guess. Uh, and I, I spoke. <laughs> We're kind of in that middle ground right now. Um, the three of us here, Colin not going to be on the show today, Colin Kennedy. He'll be back later in the week, I'll loop in some uh, great recruiting stuff. If you missed Friday's show, I went with Colin for, like, 30 minutes. We weren't planning to go that long, but he had tons of great stuff to offer uh, with guys coming up, big commit dates uh, on the horizon. There's one tomorrow with Eugene Brooks. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to that. All that information is still valid. It's not like it's uh, expired or anything. So go back, check that out. We'll loop Colin back in later in the week, shooting for a Thursday show, and uh, we'll get the latest from him. Have some big visits this week going on as well. So lots going on, on the recruiting side. We'll get Colin in later in the week. As for the three of us. Had to be a little bit of a shorter show today. I mean, we're kind of in this middle zone. I mean, fall camp starts next week, which is exciting. You know, media days are in the rearview mirror. We're kind of in that middle zone right now, kind of waiting for camp to start. But um, guys, does it feel like you know it's kind of? I mean, this is the last week of July. Like, we're we're on the cusp of this thing. Um, camp starts next week. It kind of you're getting the the juices flowing a little bit. Am I you know Am I right? Yeah, feeling a recharged after a. Yeah, I mean, personally
2: speaking, it was an eventful off-season between moving halfway mm-hmm. across the country and starting over here with you guys. <laughs> but, um, you know, feeling feel recharged and, you know, just kind of cherishing these last, you know, few free weekends before things really pick up yeah. with fall camp and the season right around the corner. So I'm excited, man.
1: It's an exciting time right now. A very exciting time with everything that's going on with OU and all the recruiting news they've gotten. And now, you know, you can kind of put it all together. Schedule's coming up and... It's going to be really fun, man, really fun. This is the last year of the Big 12. I mean, you got to try to win it all again just to say yeah. you're excited to the conference, man. <laughs> this, this is going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for both you guys. I mean, obviously, Tom covering Auburn for a long time, you know, coming to cover cover, cover OU and, and James obviously making that jump to covering OU. It's like, I'm excited for both you guys to get to do it for the first time uh, in Norman. So looking forward to it. Fall camp starts next week. We don't know the exact day yet. We have an idea of it, um, but it will be next week sometime. And they're going to have the local media day again. Don't know the exact day, but it will be next week sometime. So lots of stuff coming to the site. Obviously, Oklahoma.247sports.com, as well as the YouTube channel. So you're going to want to subscribe and keep up because obviously it's where the podcast lives. But also, you know, as you've seen seen a little bit during Big 12 Media Days, we're going to have lots of press conferences, player interviews, practice footage. All that stuff's going to live here on the YouTube channel, so you're going to want to keep up uh, regularly for that as well as obviously the podcast. What we're going to start doing here on each show, um, the way it works, there's there's ten podcasts if we do two a week between now and the first game week. So what we figure we do, we're going to break down one position at a time on each show. We'll kind of just the names to know, how we feel about the depth, breakout players that we could see, any question marks, things like that on a, each show leading up to that first game week there at the very end of August, obviously Saturday, September 2nd, the first game. So we're going to dive into that today. We're going to start right at the top with quarterbacks, which is an interesting position group um, for Oklahoma. This is a spot that last year, the depth was not, it didn't. Exi- there was none because, you know, the, the, the narrative that when Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, that he left the covered bear, you know, for Oklahoma, was a little overstated, not with quarterbacks. There was only two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler. They both left. So there was no scholarship quarterbacks on this team, period, when Brent Venables took the job. Now, he did, they brought Dylan Gabriel in. They did the best they could. They brought in Davis Bevel, you know, General Booty, just trying to get bodies. But we kind of knew going in last year, if Dylan Gabriel gets hurt, it's not going to be good. He got hurt, and it wasn't good. They lost 49 to nothing to Texas in the one game that he didn't play a single snap in. But obviously now, the only Gabriel year two, they brought in five-star phenom Jackson Arnold. Guys, it feels like the depth is, just by adding Arnold alone, but also year two of Gabriel, year two of Bevel. it just overall is in a much, much better place than it was last year. Yeah, you look at what they have at quarterback right now, and you look at the
2: quarterback rooms, not just across the Big 12, but across the country. Mm-hmm. You know, Oklahoma has to feel really good. They've got probably one of the, you know, top ten or so quarterback rooms in the country, um, just based off, again, having Dylan Gabriel back and healthy. Um, you know, he was really solid last year um, for the most part. I mean, you, you look at pro football focus, you know, he had an 87 overall grade, 81.8 passer grade, which was 20th or so among starting quarterbacks in the country. Um, you know, he led a top 30-ish scoring offense he was top 25 in passing efficiency, top 30 in passing yards, top 25 in passing touchdowns, and 16th in yards per pass attempt. So that's a really solid quarterback in his first year in that system. I know, obviously, he played for Jeff Levy at UCF for a year. Um, so he had some familiarity. But getting back in there for another year, having that continuity at quarterback is so important. But then, like you mentioned, you know he got hurt last year in that, what was it, the TCU game? TCU game, yeah. And then, you know, missed that Texas game, and you see what happened with that with that offense and with that team without him in there. So to have a guy like Jackson Arnold, who, you know, seventh highest overall recruit in program history, um, you know, elite 11 MVP, five-star quarterback, I mean, you got to feel really good about what you have in that room right now.
1: And, man, you, th- you think about, where OU would have been had Dylan Gabriel not, you know, switch flipped at the last second to come to OU when you yeah. saw that Texas game. Like, man, it that could have really been an issue in the entire season not having a a quarterback that could run that offense the way you wanted to. So, it's a it's big ups to Dylan Gabriel for that, and I think a lot of OU fans are appreciative of what he's done. And now you got Jackson Arnold in the backup, so you feel really good. And not only Jackson Arnold, I mean, coming up later on, you got Michael Hawkins, you got Kevin Sperry, guys like that. The, the entire um, locker room, I mean, I think they, they should be pretty excited about this OU quarterback room, not only this season, but from years to come, which is a very comforting situation to be in uh, for any program.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I'm sure all you fans remember, but it kind of gets forgotten sometimes that Dylan Gabriel was committed to UCLA, and mm-hmm. he got flipped. I mean, he was hours away from signing on with UCLA, and then there would have been nothing he could have done. He would have been ineligible if he tried to leave they convinced mm-hmm. him very last minute and they moved quick. Caleb Williams hit the portal after the Alamo Bowl. They moved quick. They didn't they operated under the assumption that he's not coming back. If he's in the portal, he's not coming back. They've been they've had a month to try and recruit him to stay. Hit the portal anyway, he's gone. And so they moved quickly on Gabriel. They got him and like James said, good thing they did. I mean, they might have been able to find somebody else, but it would have been tough. I mean, it was a very short time frame there and obviously the uh, the connection with Gabriel Levy helped speed things along a little bit. And for the most part, Gabriel was pretty solid last year. He's not the level of quarterback that Oklahoma is used to and has been spoiled by. He's probably not going to win a Heisman. I mean, if all things fall together, he has a dream season. He could put up some really big numbers. But you look at last season, 0-5 in one-score games. You know, a lot of that kind of comes down to just like your quarterback kind of making a play for you. I mean, it felt like if Caleb Williams was still on last year's team, they'd probably win a couple of those. All things, you know, elsewhere equal. They'd probably win a couple of those. But – Second year for Gabriel and Norman, you got to fear he's going to be better. They got to keep him healthy. But the question, guys, obviously, and I, I you fans are wondering, and I've been asked on doing national stuff, in, you know, with the twenty-four-seven national team, um, podcast guest appearances, radio guest appearances for months. I've been asked, can Jackson Arnold make a push for this job, and is it Gabriel's job? I think it is Gabriel's job, but Arnold is is he, Arnold is right there. Arnold is a special, special player. Do you guys foresee any? Uh, any controversy here, um, whether it's in fall camp, probably not. But if Gabriel struggles, do you think a move could happen? Um, how quick is that trigger going to be, I guess, in your guys' mind? Obviously, we're having to start a fall camp yet, but it's the conversation is going to be floating out there. It's, it's kind of hanging over right now.
2: Yeah, I think Gabriel's going to have
0: a pretty long leash just because of mm-hmm. his
2: familiarity with the offense. And again, the continuity at quarterback cannot be understated. Or overstated, rather. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, this is his team, second year in the system, um, put up really good numbers last year when he was healthy. You have to figure that he's going to take another step forward, you know, just being familiar with this team right now and having a full year under his belt with these guys. Um, You know, they have the luxury of not having to rush the development of Jackson Arnold. Um, You know, they can kind of let him learn in the way, you know, learn under Dylan Gabriel there for a year and kind of have him ready for when the team moves to the SEC in a year. Now, I think if Dylan Gabriel struggles a lot or if he gets injured again and Jackson Arnold goes out there and lights the world on fire, then you have another uh, conversation. But I think right now this is safely Dylan Gabriel's job, but they feel really, really good about Jackson Arnold. I mean, just look at what Brent Venable said about him, you know, at Big 12 Media Days a couple weeks ago. I have the quote right here. You know, he said, he's incredibly competitive, a great work ethic, tremendous humility, a willingness to follow and learn from others, no entitlement whatsoever, a tough guy, really smart, football is easy for him. And he plays the game with great anticipation, great awareness, highly skilled in throwing the ball and running it as well. Just a great teammate. Overall, he's brought tremendous value to our locker room. Now, yeah, part of that, I think, is that, you know, having a player of that caliber, right there with Gabriel. Obviously, Gabriel's got a lot of experience. He's a veteran. He started you know, close to 40 games in his career, but having someone of that talent level there to kind of push him and maybe have him elevate his game is only going to help Oklahoma going into the season.
1: i always say there's there's no position that is 100% safe to, to an extent, so mm-hmm. there's always a chance to back up or somebody coming mm-hmm. along can take the spot. Now, this isn't like the same situation that what happened with Spencer Rattler and, and 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 the quarterback in USC. Caleb well, Williams, I know I'm forgetting his name. There but, yeah, <laughs> this is in the same situation. But I think Jackson Arnold, man, he's very talented and everything like that. And if you know that he's very talented, if he has the patience to wait behind, then that's, that's what it comes down to. You have the patience to wait behind, you can wait on him. But if Dylan Gabriel goes out there and has a couple bad games to where this offense isn't steamrolling the way that, Everybody thinks they should this year. Yeah, you start to kind of hear the uh the uproar from fans around like you heard with Spencer Rattler, and the same situation can happen. And it's it's just that quick that it could it could take a turn. But at the time, Caleb Williams, he had like the entire team loved him, you know. So it's yeah. it's like the same situation uh with Jackson Arnold, but it seems like the entire team loves Dylan Gabriel as well. So it's not like they don't have any animosity towards him. So I think the chemistry is already there, he knows the offense, like we've talked about. And so I, don't, I think it's a little bit different this time.
0: Yeah, it's hard not to draw the parallels, certainly, to two years ago, um, Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, and especially when it comes to the fan uh, aspect of it. Because, you know, in 2021, that team was supposed to be national championship-level good. That was supposed to be Lincoln's best team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they underperformed. And they were still winning, but they were underperforming. They were skiing by the, by the skin of their teeth against bad teams. And that noise to put Caleb Williams in and replace Spencer Atler from the fans got louder and louder and louder to the point that we had a, a we want Caleb chant at a game. And it was kind of infamous now. And I don't know if we're in that same place right now, but it's hard not to think of the spring game in April. You know, they announced Dylan Gabriel starting quarterback. Gets a pretty big cheer. But then whenever they announced Jackson Arnold, they put Arnold into the game in the spring game. I mean, you, the guy was, he was like he was Baker Mayfield or something. He got a ginormous ovation. The fans love Jackson Arnold. Already, and done anything, you know, hasn't even played in a real game yet. So it's hard not to think that if Gabriel underperforms, that noise will be louder and louder and louder. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see how that shakes out. It's not the same as 2021, but it, there are some parallels there. And I do agree, Tom, kind of what you were, you know, suggesting. If Arnold gets on the field in any capacity, Gabriel's out for a week, it's hard to imagine him giving that job up. And that, that's kind of the next – you know, you know, evolution of that. Not just Gabriel being benched, but if Gabriel has to miss a game for any, you know, he gets banged up, Arnold gets to start a week. Uh, you know, it, it's it's very realistic to think that he, you know, he's not going to give that seat back up once he gets in there.
1: I think, I think, oh, you we'll see him in some type of capacity on the field at least. I think in those first couple of games, yeah, uh, you saw that with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. I mean, Kyler Murray got in there for a couple of plays and and really showed that he was going to mm-hmm. be really good. So I think that that type of situation can happen again as well. It's just like you said if Dylan Gabriel gets hurt he starts to start uh in Dylan Gabriel's uh spot. Then you know there's a difference there.
2: Yeah, as, as long as Dylan Gabriel's healthy, um mm-hmm. you know that should be his job. Um, But I I do think that they're going to have some opportunities to get Jackson Orland in games again early in the season Mm -hmm. in that non-conference schedule, whether it's, you know, late in games or just having certain packages for him to kind of get his feet wet, get acclimated to the college game. Because, again, this is going to be his team next year. Mm -hmm. Um, So they want him to be prepared. They don't need to rush him, but it'd be good to have some reps under his belt.
0: Yeah, that's the aspect I'm interested in with packages for him you know because we saw that in 2021 too and different coaches and everything different completely different regime but even before Kittle took over they would put Kittle in the game in certain run situations and not to uh Dylan Gabriel can move around but Jackson Arnold is a sneaky athlete he can really move um will there be situations where they put Arnold in the game you know just kind of throughout just certain packages for him is incredibly interesting uh, to me, uh, how they work him in. And he certainly should get some, at the very least, like you guys have both said, some garbage time. I mean, if that doesn't happen, then something went vastly wrong <laughs> when you're playing Arkansas State. And uh, SMU is going to be a little bit of a tougher test. But Tulsa, I mean, you you should be comfortably enough ahead in the fourth quarter of those games to let jackson only get some get some series. And if you don't, mm-hmm. then, then something went wrong. So interesting stuff. Let's uh, close out. We're going to close out each one of these things by giving a, uh, a a score one to ten on the strength of the position, the depth, however you want to take it, bake it all into your score one to ten. You can use decimal points. I'm going to probably <laughs> one to ten. How you feel the quarterback strength is going into 2023 for Oklahoma? I guess I'll
2: go first. Go um, ahead.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
2: go I, I, I think you know, nine nine point five maybe. I, again, this, yeah. Again, look, you, you bring back a returning starter who's familiar with the offense. You bring back you bring in one of the top freshmen in the country um, again th- they're going to have one of the best quarterback situations across college football this year mm-hmm. if you're not feeling confident about that then you might need to check yourself
1: The first thing we need to do before we we, we put numbers on it I think. What, what is a 10? Like, what quarterback room right now is a 10 across the nation? What I mean, the just, University
0: of Texas is a 10, in yeah, my te- opinion. You, so. you, you, you have Queen Ewers and Malik Murphy, okay, and then Arch Manning sitting back there. But I mean, they have a backup who would start on almost every other team in the country, so that's a 10. Um, I would also say USC is probably a 10 USC's because you have the 10, reigning Heisman winner there. Ole Miss has got like four guys who could who have started. So maybe they're a 10. I mean, Spencer Sanders is probably going to transfer because he's like the third string out there. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, you got to be pretty good to be a 10, at least for me. Yeah. But it's your scale. Yeah. So you I know. mean,
1: I'm going off of that. So let's see. I, I I think I go 8.5 for OU, which is very solid, I think. That's very exactly solid. where
0: I was going to go. It's 8.5. Uh, yeah. That's a high score. That's a high number. Um, yeah. You feel good about it. Year two of Gabriel, Jackson Arnold is a far better backup situation than they were last year. But they're... But, what what docks it down a little, just a little for me. Jackson Arnold is still a true freshman. He's a gifted player, and I think Jackson Arnold's going to be really, really good in Norman. But true freshman, or true freshman. Even Caleb Williams, a true freshman, had growing pains. He had games where he wasn't great. So if you have to lean on a true freshman quarterback in any, no matter how good he is, there's some risk involved there. And Dylan Gabriel has had injury problems. He's a bit injury prone. Um, you know, he's he's missed full seasons basically at UCF, missed a couple of game, you know, a game and a half last year uh, at OU. So those, those minor concerns dock it down a little for me, but it's a strong group. I mean, you you feel a lot better about things than you did last year. Last year we knew going in, if, if, if Gabriel misses time, they don't really have I mean, Davis Bevel, no disrespect, but he was the third string at Pittsburgh the year before, you know, that, that's a big leap for him. And uh, it wasn't good. It was, it was quite terrible actually in the, in the Texas game. So, that's where I'm at. Any final thoughts on QBs uh, to wrap this up?
2: I don't think we covered it all.
0: Yeah.
1: We're, all,
2: we're all set. Yeah, like go. I
1: said, I don't want nobody to be mad at this 8.5. 8.5, I still think, is one of the best in the nation. That's like, a good score for me, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's mean, very high up there. That is plus, B+. plus, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, it, it for sure. I mean, yeah, it, I don't consider Neil Gabriel to be a Heisman-caliber quarterback. He's not like a first-round talent quarterback. Maybe he'll prove me wrong and have a great year. I, I do think his ceiling – is bordering, approaching that, but I don't know if he has that in him. He's an old. He's played a lot of college football. We kind of know what Dylan Gabriel is. He's not some yeah. young. He's, boss. he's, he's, he's a really, a he's a really, really
2: good college quarterback. Who, mm-hmm. yeah, because of his size, probably won't make it in the NFL. That being said, he's played You know, he's started he's doing a lot games. of games. Yeah. He's put up some solid numbers. He's familiar with the offense. He's you
0: know got some weapons around him. I think he's going to be really good. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to do that every single show up until the first week, uh, the first game week. We're going to flip over to defense on Thursday, so tune in uh, to get a defensive position breakdown. I think we're going to do defensive end. I think that's how I'm leaning on uh, Thursday, so tune in for that. The Sooners Illustrated Podcast. We'll be back after this short break. Elsewhere now, we haven't had a lot of recruiting since Friday's show, obviously just over the weekend. But there was a little uh, breadcrumb news that we want to touch on real quick. We won't talk about it real long, but um, the picture of PWO commit for receiver Jacob Jordan. This guy goes to South Lake Carroll, which is a really good program down there in Texas. Um, really good numbers. James, you're with the story on him, so I'll let you kind of steer the ship here uh, on on Jacob Jordan. But this is another guy. I mean, how many receivers is Emmett Jones gonna? They already have five scholarship guys in this class. I you had another one in Jacob Jordan. And he also goes to high school with another guy that they're chasing who's going to visit this week. James, you can dive into that as well if you'd like.
1: Yeah, I mean, looking at his like at his stats and everything like that, he was, it was pretty impressive for what he's put up. It was, it's kind of crazy that he's just like a PWO, what he's done, especially in his junior year, which was like his breakout year. Um, mm-hmm. just as a junior, I want to read off his stats real fast. He started all 14 games, caught 67 passes, for 1,225 yards and 16 touchdowns. And he's also like the the return man for that team. So he's a very uh pivotal part of that team and what they do offensively and on special teams. And man, what a what a great get for Emmett Jones and Oklahoma Sooners uh to get up as a PWO, man, because he's he's very impressive. Yeah. Like you can see like, you know, Gavin Freeman type of stuff going on with him, which mm-hmm. the way that he's product he produces on a non scholarship type of uh offer. So that's that was that was exciting to see, I think. Uh, for most OU fans,
2: yeah, I mean, you look at his numbers; they're they're really impressive. Over twelve hundred yards and sixteen touchdowns this past season, um, you know. But you look at his size: five five foot eight, one hundred seventy five pounds is what I think he's listed at. Um, you'd think that if he probably had a, f- a few more inches on there, maybe if you know ten fifteen pounds heavier, that he'd probably have some more scholarship offers. But you know, as far as preferred walk-on goes, you know that's that's a pretty solid get. Um, you know, type of guy that can provide quality depth in that room, especially on the practice field. Um, you know, give the you know be able to give the defense some different looks uh, when he gets here. Um, you know, you can't discount you know the value that guys like that have for a program, even if they're not going to see the field when the actual games get played.
1: I mean, even at his size, he he understands how to get open and how to get in the end zone. Yeah. Six, I mean, 16 touchdowns in 14 games. He's going, he's at least getting in the end zone once a game. I mean, that's that's outstanding. You, you have a yeah. promise there from one player that you're going to score on that. That's that's incredible,
0: yeah. And, and look, the reality here is that Oklahoma has kind of forced us to uh to pay attention to these PWOs because yeah. of like James touched on Gavin Freeman, who was a kind of a similar thing, like looked at as like a throwing, like oh, nice pickup, good program in Oklahoma City, Heritage Hall. And he did some really nice things last year. And now, by all accounts, has had a huge offseason and is gonna factor into the offense this year. The guy was originally a PWO. It's hard not to kind of want to make that comparison. Even if you back it up a little bit further, Drake Stoops was a PWO once upon a time. Now, I mean, he's one of the key parts of this offense. And I mean when Drake Stoops was brought in from Norman North right there, in, know. I mean, it was kind of looked at as uh, oh, they're being, you know, Norman Kid, he's Bob Stoops' son, they're kind of throwing him a bone. He worked into being legitimate. Now he's the number two receiver on this team probably going to next year. So you got to mm-hmm. kind of pay attention to these kids. these PWOs are not just <laughs> there for fun. A lot of, you know, this more than once has turned into a legitimate player. Um, I kind of referenced it. Um, James, he goes to high school with Brock Boyd, correct? Yep. yep. Who's obviously uh, an OU target. We saw him at camp back in June, ball out, got himself an offer. He's going to visit this week. Um, that might not hurt a little, little help there. Right. Am I
1: right? Yeah. He's got so many ties to OU as well. Brock Boyd. Like, I mean, I I'd be, I'm fairly confident that he, he would, you know, really consider OU down the line. He's a 2026, 20, So he's got a lot of time yeah, left to yeah. make a decision, but his, you know, his dad is the, the receivers coach over there at South Lake Carroll. So his dad. And, and so you see what kind of production he can coach and his son, man, he, he really impressed at OU, uh, uh, Brent Venable's mm. camps. So, I mean, can't wait to see what he ends up being. Later on down the line, just man, he, he's really good too.
0: Yeah, he's visiting this week. A uh, boy, it is. And uh, we'll, we'll be sure to talk to Colin about that and all the other visits. Kind of a big visit week, uh, last week before fall camp, uh, this week. So we'll be sure to loop Colin in with that. Uh, let's wrap up the show with a little bit of basketball talk. We haven't had any basketball yet, uh, on our, our third episode here of the uh, of the pod. Big 12 announced their opponents, uh, the pairings. We don't have the exact schedule yet with, like, dates and stuff like that. But we know who Oklahoma is going to be playing in 2024, final year in the Big 12, both men and women. Not going to be a whole lot to dive in here, but we wanted to at least, you know, anything that stuck out. I can run through really, really quick uh, what we got going on. For the women, home and aways with Texas, OSU, Kansas, Kansas State, and Cincinnati. They'll host Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, and UCF. They'll go to West Virginia, BYU, Iowa State, and Houston. As for the men, they have home and aways with Texas, OSU, Kansas, Iowa State, and Cincinnati. They'll host Houston, BYU, Texas Tech, and West Virginia, and they will travel to Baylor, Kansas State, TCU, and UCF. So anything that sticks out here, obviously in both cases, home and aways were secured with both Bedlam and Red River, which you'd expect be weird to not have that. Um, anything notable, though, at all um, that stuck out, men or women, from uh, these Big 12 opponent reveals?
2: Yeah, for, for me, I mean, you, you look at it, the Big 12 last year had seven teams that made the NCAA tournament. Um, Oklahoma's going to have a home and away series with two of those in Kansas and Texas. Hmm. Um, obviously, Kansas was, you know, number one seed in the tournament last year. Uh, you know, going to fog is in, their, in Oklahoma's final year in the Big 12 is going to be, you know, Pretty big. Um, yeah. For I mean, sure. it's sure. quite an environment to play in, obviously, great atmosphere. Um, you know, again, of those teams that made the NCAA tournament last year, they get West Virginia home only. Um, they also host Houston, which, again, was the number one seed in the tournament, even though they're a newcomer. The yeah. Um, and then road only, they're going to Baylor, K State, and TCU, all of which made the NCAA tournament last year. So it's a pretty balanced schedule when you look at the strength of it in terms of teams that made the postseason last year.
1: Yeah, the Big 12 is going to be really good in basketball. Like, a, it's going to be a really good basketball conference, even when OU and Texas leaves. You know, football may not be as as much, but basketball, man, they're going to be really good. And I think it was kind of cool to see that OU and Cincinnati on the women's side have never played each other. So that, that'll be a really fun matchup to see where they, where they end up because then it may not play again after that. So it's going to be fun. Like, this may be the last time and first time that they play each other on the court. And OU has, you know, the OU women's team had such a good year last year, but they have to replace the, that trio that they had that, that produced a lot for them. And that'll be interesting to see what they do uh, in that situation.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, a few things suck out uh, in regard to the, the men's slate. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously it's nice to see the, 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 the road trip secured to Fog Allen and Gallagher. I one last time to go to both those places. But, um, you're going to be nuts. I mean, going to Gallagher, Iowa for the Bedlam game is is great. OSU basketball fans are, are nuts at that game. And so one last time there will be a lot of fun. Getting to go to Fog one last time is great, too. I mean, obviously everybody knows OU's losing streak at Fog is, is historically long. But they've been close under Porter the last two years. They've actually played pretty well there. One last crack, try and break that streak before you leave. Is uh, kind of exciting, and then it's cool to have some new teams coming to Norman. I mean, Lloyd Noble, and but it's hard not to. The most notable is Houston. Kelvin Sampson's coming back to Norman. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to be interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, that that's I don't know what to make of that. That's going to be a, a weird uh, deal. Whenever Kelvin Sampson and Houston, which is another program that is really good. I mean, the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve has has discovered, and Brett Yormark has has said as such that. They are the premier basketball league, and they're they're leaning into that. There's talks that they might want to look to add UConn. There's talks mm-hmm. they might look to want to add Gonzaga. I mean, these are basketball moves, obviously, not football moves. And, uh, yeah, this conference is, is disgusting. There's not a lot so, of gimmies anywhere on here. It was already, it was already really tough. And you go at Houston and Cincinnati, teams that are perennially in the tournament. UCF has been a solid program for the last several years tough, but it always is. It's yeah. tough, but it always and, is.
2: And it's not going to get much easier for OU or Texas next year going to the SEC, which itself no. has built into a pretty strong basketball conference top to bottom. It has. So um going to be really interesting these next couple of years for sure, just to see how they do in their final year in the Big 12 and kind of how they stack
0: up in a kind of revamped SEC. Yeah, it's a big year for both Porter Moser and Jenny Bronchek for like entirely different reasons. For Porter, obviously last year was – it was a borderline disaster. I mean, they finished last in the Big 12, and that's not—that's not what you're hoping for. You got to see some improvement before that SEC move. Um, and for the women, I mean, Jenny Bronchek's had that thing going really well. A couple of really successful seasons for her. Made the tournament both times. But they—they they are replacing a lot from last year's team, and so now this is really this is really Bronchek's first test of like, okay, all those players that she inherited that. She got the absolute most out of, and they did. You know, they they had a couple of great seasons. A lot of them are gone now. Maddie Williams, Taylor Robertson, you know, they're all on a unit, so they're all gone. Can you reload and still be that that good and make the tournament again and compete at the top of the Big Twelve? That's kind of the question for her. So, big seasons for both programs, but for like totally different reasons. So, exciting though. Looking forward, we got a lot of football before we get to hoops, but it's kind of fun to look ahead to hoops uh, a little bit. It's gonna be an interesting. Yeah,
1: season. I like the way I like the way Bronchek is recruiting so far. I mean, covering high schools last year, my mm-hmm. former job. I mean, I saw her a lot at games, like just around because I yeah. covered a lot of the girls' games as well. Even seen her at the state tournament. I mean, you can assume there's gonna be a lot of Oklahoma native kids going to OU. I mean, I wrote a story about that like last mm-hmm. month or so. She's gonna do a really good job there, and I like what she's done with the recruiting and. Just for her to even keep the other three girls that you just mentioned uh, that she inherited to keep them in a, in Asuna's uniform, I mean, it shows that she can recruit and she can can deliver on her promises as well. Because oh, you had a great season. I mean, almost to the Sweet Sixteen. I mean, that's that's the best they've been in a long time. So I'm yeah. really impressed with her so far.
0: For sure, for sure, and that's something you know we talked about on last week's show with the men's team bringing in Dayton Forsythe. Has been the men's team has lot, largely not been very good about keeping players in the state. Jamie Bronchek has done a very nice job of that so far. I've mm-hmm. Landry Allen from Tuttle, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Lofton, right from Bethany. Because yep, I Lofton, yeah, not so, um, as well. Yep. Yeah, they've done a they've done a nice job, and they they need to continue that. Um, and it, for all all reasons point to that they will. Um, she has that thing going good. Been a couple of really good years for Bronchek. I mean, when, when she took over, that program was not good. It was not in a good place, and uh, she whipped them into shape quickly. So, going uh, to be fun seasons for both of them whenever we get there in, uh, in November. Right, I think that's it for us. Like I said, shorter show. Um, we're kind of in this middle ground before fall camp starts next week. We're back later this week. We're going to break down another position for you, all the latest news. And, of course, uh, we're going to loop Colin in for uh, a lot of recruiting updates. Big commit to watch tomorrow. Eugene Brooks is going to announce his commitment. He's picking between OU and Texas tomorrow. Keep up with us on, uh, obviously, Oklahoma. Sports. 247 sportscom for his decision. And uh, we'll have a write-up there, a story for you on the site. And Colin will be sure to break that down, that decision, one way or another on Thursday, as well as the other visits going on this week. Camp starts next week. Feels good. Yeah. We it's are getting work. close. Uh, we are getting close, everybody. So that's it for us. Thanks so much for tuning in. First episodes have been a uh, great reception. We really appreciate everybody tuning in on the YouTube and uh, on the site as well and everywhere else. So we'll be uh, back later this week. That's it for now. For Tom Green and James Jackson, I'm Josh Callaway. We'll catch you guys later this week for more on the Sooners Illustrated podcast.